going to be in John chapter 17. You can take those out. Uh, John chapter 17. There's also an outline in your program if you'd like to uh, follow along with the message. Uh, this is our 36th week in the Gospel of John, our journey through the Gospel of John. And today, our theme is, this world is not my home. That uh, fits right well with that, that song we just sang together. Well, it was a favorite movie and a blockbuster hit of 1982. So everybody start thinking back, 1982. Hmm, what movie was that? Uh, it surpassed Star Wars to become the highest grossing film of all time. Hmm, what movie might that be? A record that it held for 11 years. Many people say that it's the first movie that they remember that caused them to cry. Figure out what it is yet? The movie was E.T. Remember E.T.? And if you've seen the movie, or even if you haven't, then there are some classic scenes that will be remembered. You might remember little Elliot cutting his finger and E.T. healing Elliot's finger and saying, ouch. That's my best E.T. impression there. Or Elliot and his friends riding their bicycles in the sky. Remember that? Well, the feds are coming trying to capture E.T. Or E.T. building that communication device and uttering the classic line, E.T., phone home. So if you remember the movie, the premise was very simple. Disguise E.T., misdirect attention from him long enough until he can get back home where he belongs. So I want you to keep that theme in your mind this morning as we work our way through the message. Today's text from John 17, we, we encounter Jesus and it is his longest recorded prayer in scripture. And in this prayer, he asks the Father to protect his disciples as Jesus prepares to leave this world. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Now, the Lord knows the hardships that are coming once he leaves the disciples behind. But he also knows that they will never truly be on their own. Because as we've looked over the past two weeks, he's promised that God's Holy Spirit, the Helper, the encourager will come to guide, strengthen, and encourage these men. And so like those early disciples, we too live in a world marked by conflict. Is that right? Just think about that. There, there's all kinds of conflicts surrounding us. And through this amazing prayer of Jesus, we're reminded that though we live in this world... Our time here is temporary. Jesus prays for his disciples then and now that in the midst of this fractured mess of a world that we live in, that we, his children, might portray some distinctive marks. Now last week, we saw that in Jesus' concluding statement, his concluding teaching with the disciples, he reminded them to take heart. We looked at that phrase, take heart. That is to remain steadfast and confident through our faith in Jesus because his plan stretches far beyond the temporary trials of 
this life. In John 16, 33, the last verse in John 16, we read the words of the Lord, I have said these things to you that in me you might have peace, shalom, rest. In the world you will have tribulation. We looked at that. That's a promise. We looked at last week. You will have tribulation. But there's that phrase, take heart, believe, have confidence. I have overcome the world. That was Jesus' concluding statement to his disciples. Well, now we're going to read the, the first section of Jesus' prayer together uh, as we consider these unique marks or traits of the disciples of Jesus. So we're going to read the first 10 verses, the words and the prayer of our Lord Jesus. I invite you to, to join me, beginning in John 17, verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. Amen. The words of our Lord. Well, so far in our study of John, we've seen that uh, both John, the apostle, and Jesus use this term, the world, often. And the world refers to what we might say is the system of values and beliefs and conduct that are influenced by Satan, by the evil one. In our text today, we'll see that God's people should live and respond as people separate from the world. But what does that mean? Because we live here. How can we live here and yet be separate? And so often Christians will grapple with this question. What does it mean? What does it mean to be in the world but not of it? When we discuss that phrase, sometimes we might even kind of feel like strangers, like aliens, kind of like that old gospel song that we started the service with. This world is not my home. I'm just, I'm just passing through. When conflict with the culture of the world comes, it's very easy to get discouraged. We might things like, think things like, oh, this world is so evil. Uh, that, well, this world is messed up. It's not like it used to be. We kind of look back with fondness. Oh, it's not like it used to be. Well, despite our best efforts, though, the world is getting worse, isn't it? It's not getting better. And friends, that's by design. 
As God's people, we need to understand that. And the temptation, though, is that we just kind of give up. We maybe throw up our hands and say, I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm done with this stuff. We're kind of like E.T. with a sheet over our head, hoping we don't get discovered. And the impression then that we could get is that to be in the world is kind of akin to being stuck here. Oh, I'm kind of stuck here in this world. Kind of like our fictional friend E.T., right? We might even feel like our best strategy is to do all that we can to avoid being detected by the world. You know, it's almost like we are kind of spiritual outsiders. And maybe even just waiting, you know? waiting for the mothership to come and take us home. But really, is that what Jesus is talking about? Is that what he means when he says to his disciples in verse 16, they are not of the world. Not of the world. Well, I want to answer that question by considering from this first section of the prayer three distinct marks or traits of disciples who live in this world. We're not of this world, but here we are. We're here, and so what does it look like? How do we live in this world? And so what we want to see, first of all, is that disciples are marked by, number one, the practice of perfect unity. Perfect unity. Oh, that sounds overwhelming, doesn't it? Perfect unity. How can we ever get there? You know, in, our, in the text here, in, in the Gospel of John, we see that Jesus' role in this world is just about finished, right? His redeeming work on the cross is quickly approaching. In a matter of hours, he will be crucified. In three days, he will rise from the dead. In six weeks later, he will ascend into heaven to be with the Father, and Jesus' work on earth will be complete. But guess what? His disciples will still be in the world. And so Jesus' prayer is first for their protection. Look at verse 11. I will remain in the world no longer. This is Jesus speaking. But they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Ah, and so now we get a glimpse into what perfect unity is. It's not about us. It's about Jesus and the Father. Their perfect unity, and they're sharing that unity with us as we step into it. I want you to notice that the protection that Jesus prays for isn't from bad things. It's not from difficult circumstances, is it? Jesus doesn't pr uh, pray that God will remove, uh, you know, all of the, the bad stuff from his disciples, all the troubles uh, in the world. That's not what he prays about. Instead, Jesus wants their unity to be protected. Jesus is praying for that perfect unity, just like our unity, Father, I'm praying that that will be for my children. Protect them so that they will be one as we are one. You know, we, we live, I mentioned earlier, in a world where there is conflict all the time, right? 
I just read this morning, there's, uh, you know, rockets flying in the Middle East, in, in uh, Israel. Conflict. All we have to do here, we are gearing up for another political season in our country. Conflict, right? There's conflict everywhere in this world. There's national conflicts. There's ethnic conflicts. There's wars. There's financial crises. And then on a more personal level, there are conflicts in marriages, conflicts in families, conflicts in schools and workplaces. The world is a fractured mess full of trouble. And so Jesus prays for his disciples in the midst of this fractured mess he asks that his followers will be different, that they'll be protected by that perfect unity. He's praying that in a world of disunity, which is everywhere, that his followers would be marked by their remarkable unity. Now, it's not a unity, friends, that has us all look alike or act alike or vote alike. It is the same unity that Jesus has with his heavenly Father. And what is their unity based on? Think about that. What is their unity based on? Here's what it's based on. It's based on one mind, one purpose, one heart, one mission. One mission. The mission that's outlined in the first 10 verses that we read together of this prayer. That the world may know and glorify God. That's the mission. The mission is that the world may know that Jesus was sent by God. That is the mission. The mission is that the world may know that Jesus has the authority to grant eternal life. That is the mission. And friends, when this mission gets ignored by God's people, the first thing to disappear is unity. Because we're off track. We're off mission. If followers of Christ cannot stand united on this core mission, then the first place we need to look is to say, how are we doing? How are we doing keeping the mission as our focus? Are we pursuing it? Are we united in our efforts towards it? Are we committed together in making it our priority, our purpose? You know, Satan, Jesus calls him the evil one. The evil one loves to mess with our unity. He loves it. Conflict, because he knows conflict messes with the image of the church. Satan detests a unified body, and so he looks for ways to sidetrack us from the mission. And his most effective tool in building conflict is making us adopt a different mission. Instead of glory and Jesus and eternal life, we pursue personal preferences, political ideologies, pet projects. Those become the mission. And in the end, he hopes that our hearts will change towards the true mission. Either we'll forget about it or put it aside because we're so focused on these other things. And so Jesus prays that the unity of his disciples will be protected so that we will pursue the practice of perfect unity. Well, next, Jesus prays about a second theme or mark for his disciples. Disciples will be marked by 
the expression of full joy. Full joy. Read together with me verses 12 through 14 as Jesus continues his prayer. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name which you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Amen. Jesus wants his disciples to experience joy. Joy. Even in the midst of the troubles that are brewing, he says in the text, the world hates them. The world hates God's people. The world hates God's word. And yet in the midst of that, we can have joy. Jesus prayed that. So it must be that we can have it if he prayed about it. He prays for joy. And notice, I want you to see that Jesus doesn't pray for just a little bit of joy for his disciples. He wants them to know the full measure of joy. The full measure of joy. Let's picture that for a moment, all right? The full measure. The needle on your joy gauge is all the way over on the full mark, right? It's not like your car and that gauge keeps dropping and the needle is almost to empty. And that's not joy, is it? That's anxiety. That's stress. That's worry. And, and you know, you're saying, oh, am I going to make it to the gas station or not? I don't know. Do I have just a few bucks to throw in the tank until it get me through to the next payday? I, I don't know. No, that's not, that's not joy. Jesus' prayer is for a full tank of joy, not a single drop more will fit into the tank, a full measure of joy within us. Wow, that's Jesus' prayer. And you know, friends, Satan cringes at that request. We know one weapon that he uses against the church is to mess with our unity. We just talked about that. Another favorite weapon against believers is fear. He wants to remove our courage. A removal of courage is literally what? Discouragement. He wants us living and dwelling in discouragement. But Jesus wants us living and dwelling with a full measure of joy. The evil one wants us wallowing in fear, in worry, in anxiety, in stress. But in this request, Jesus is disarming Satan, who is the puppet ruler of this world. We talked about that phrase earlier. You see, Satan hates a rejoicing Christian. He hates a rejoicing church. Now, I want to make clear, I'm not talking about happiness here. Sometimes we mix up joy and happiness and we think we all got to be happy all the time with these fake smiles. Sunday morning, how you doing? Oh, I'm great. How you doing? Oh, I'm great. And we all lie to each other. When we're hurting inside and our week's been horrible. Is that what Jesus wants for us? No. He wants us to have a full measure of joy so that we can make it through those hard times together. 
encouraging one another. And so, there's a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is based just, just on our current circumstances, right? Great. My gas tank's full. I'm happy. My bank account is not overdrawn. I'm happy. Things are going pretty well. I'm happy. It's sunny today. I'm happy. That's fine. Be happy for those things. That's great. But what happens with happiness? It goes up and it goes down and it goes up and it goes down and it's affected by our circumstances, but not joy. Joy is based on who Jesus is. Joy is based on who we are as a part of his eternal kingdom. Do you want to know why Satan hates it when Christians rejoice? Because he knows that that joy is contagious. Came across this little story. I don't even know if it's a true story or not, but I think it illustrates the point well. It says that a, a compassionate doctor had traveled deep into the jungle to provide medical care to a, a primitive tribe that was afflicted with a contagious disease. Now she had special medical equipment flown in uh, and she had correctly diagnosed the problem and the, the medicines and antibiotics were now being prepared and they were available. And this doctor is independently wealthy. She has no need of financial compensation or governmental support. Everything is in line. But as she seeks to provide this critical care, the very people who are afflicted with the disease refuse the care. They reject the life-sustaining help offered by this doctor and her team. They say, we'll take care of it ourselves. They want to heal on their own terms. And so what happens? The disease continues to spread. Some of the people are dying. Finally, a, a few brave children step forward to receive the care being freely provided. And what does the doctor feel? She feels joy. Joy. Her joy increases to the degree that the sick come for help and for healing. Because it's the whole reason she came in the first place. And so soon many are rejoicing as they see the treatment working. And the sick coming back to health. That's a nice story. But friends, it's the same way with us. And it's the same way with Christ. Here's something to remember, child of God. He doesn't get flustered or frustrated when we come to him for fresh forgiveness. When we come for renewed pardon or we come with distress and need and emptiness. Our Lord doesn't get distressed by those things because that's the whole point. It's why he came. He came to heal. He came to bring peace. He came to live among us. And when we receive that healing, he is joyful. And he prays then in his prayer that that joy will be in us. 
and that it will spread and be more contagious, more contagious than the sin of this ugly world all around us. And so friends, the practice of perfect unity, the expression of full joy, and finally Jesus prays that his disciples will be marked by one more significant trait. A commitment to trust in the truth. Trusting in the truth. Let's read a little bit more of Jesus' prayer together. Verses 15 and 16 and 17. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Amen. The words of Jesus. So here we get a little bit of a glimpse into the process of growth. The display of these traits in our life. And one thing we find out is that it doesn't always come easily. This attaining joy, this attaining of what God wants for us, it doesn't come easily sometimes. Think about this for a moment. Jesus says they are not of the world. But that is just the starting place, right? That's not the destination. When he says, we're not of the world, that's not our destination. Jesus says that he is not of the world. And then he reminds the Father that his followers are not of this world either, but he doesn't stop there. In verse 17, his prayer is, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Now that word sanctify, that's a, that's a fancy Bible word, right? Sanctify means to set apart for a purpose, to make holy. It comes from a, a root word meaning to stand in awe of something. Have you ever been in awe of something, a beautiful sunset, a, a view, whatever it is? Wow! When we're sanctified, that's how we live with God. Wow! God is so awesome. This life that he's brought me into is so awesome. We're sanctified, set apart for a purpose. Let me, let me just illustrate that in a more practical way. In our house, the house that I live in with my wife Sue, there are two places where dishes are stored, okay? In the kitchen, in the cabinets, and then in the glass hutch in the dining room. All right? Now, the dishes in the kitchen are for everyday use, right? But that glass cabinet, that's where the holy dishes are stored, <laughs> right? The sanctified dishes, all right? They are only to be used for special occasions, for holidays, when guests come over. They're never for everyday use, and I need to understand that, right? <laughs> now, friends, we are set apart by the truth. 
the truth. As followers of Jesus, we are placed into a privileged position, right? And what marks that privilege, that holiness, that sanctification is not some special glass cabinet. It's not a location. It's not a building that we all gather in. No, the follower of Jesus is marked by our complete trust in the truth, the truth of Jesus Christ. That means that we accept an authority that is greater than ourselves. We recognize a standard of truth beyond ourselves. And that authority, that standard, is the word of God. We are clearly set apart by the truth. And that is what Jesus prays for us. And in this way, we are not a part of the world. And that means that our feelings about a particular topic or issue, our preferences, our inclinations, our personal ideas, they don't matter. Because we are set apart by the truth of God. But God, I don't like that. God, I think it ought to be this way. And Jesus says, Father, sanctify them by the truth. And we are sanctified by the truth when we become comfortable living according to God's truth. More comfortable than living even according to my preferred truth. Does that make sense? The word of God is what sets us apart. But we don't stop there. We don't stop there with our privilege and our holiness. We are more than fancy dishes in the cabinet. Look at verse 18 again. Jesus says, as you, he's talking to the Father, as you, Father, sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So that means that Jesus purposely sends his disciples into this stinky, messed up, broken, troubled world. We think, God, what am I doing here? And the answer is, I sent you there. I sent you there with a purpose. You have a task. You have a mission. His followers have a mission. His family has a mission. His children have a mission. And it's not to sit around and sing another round of hymns. We're not here to hide under the bed sheet until we're safe, right? He doesn't. Pray for protection for his followers so that they can simply phone home and wait for a ride to get there. Instead, he sends them right into the world that they are not, N-O-T capitalized, not a part of. I sent them into the world. Well, it's football season. I, I love football. Love to watch football. So I'm going to borrow a little football analogy for just a moment. So you've got to be patient with me, all right? But in, in football, the players huddle, right? They huddle. And it's a unifying moment. But here's something to recognize. They don't huddle so that they can feel like a team. No, they're already a team. They don't huddle so they can feel cool all wearing the same uniform. Oh, nice colors, dude. Like your number. I like your number. No, that's not what they're talking about in the, in the huddle. 
They huddle so that they can run the next play and hopefully advance the ball down the field because that is the mission of football, to get from this end to that end and score a touchdown. And friends, in this world, we are called to run the plays, to advance the mission, which is, to remind ourselves one more time, to glorify God to proclaim that Jesus was sent by God into this world and to share the good news that Jesus has the authority to grant eternal life to those who believe in him, who trust in his truth. That is the mission. We are separate, yes, but also sent. We are to be different, yes, but we are still to be engaging the world with this message, this radical message demonstrated how? Through unity and joy and trust in the truth of God's word. That is what Jesus' prayer is all about. So, rather than picture E.T. anymore, why don't you have a new picture in your mind for just a moment? I want you to picture being an ambassador. You know what an ambassador is? A political figure that represents one country in another place, right? So you and I, Christian brothers and sisters, are ambassadors that are sent into a fractured world and a messed up culture that is very different from our own. The language is different. The food is different. The way we live is different. But we are still sent. We're sent into a region, the world, where conflict reigns, where trouble brews on a constant basis. But we are sent with an authoritative message, a message from the one who was here before the world began. That's what Jesus says of himself. Before this all began, I was with you, Father. The message. The message. God will be glorified. Jesus was sent by God. Jesus has the authority to grant eternal life. We are sent to share that message. The message that as he stated last week in the text that we looked at, I have overcome the world. He's overcome the world, and now we need to get that message out. It's the message of peace. The message of freedom from anxiety and stress and worry. Because we're a part of God's forever family. Now, I told you this is a long prayer and it goes on. And so in the rest of his prayer, which we'll consider next week, aren't you glad we're not, we're stopping here, okay? The rest we'll look at next week. But we're gonna see how Jesus prays for us. How he prays for us personally. So that we will advance the ball down the field. So that we will be marked by these marks and an even greater mark, the mark of, of love. And so we'll look at that next week. But for now, let's pray together.